If you have your copy of the scriptures or a device containing them, I invite you to uh, turn with me to the book of Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. And we want to continue uh, looking at a few things uh, out of the book about walking. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Well, actually, let's do this. Let's look at verse 1 first. And then we'll go to 17. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Verse 17, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Father, thank you so much for this day. Uh, thank you for your great love for us and the mercies wherewith you have mercied us. Uh, thank you for, as Brother Joel mentioned, getting us up this morning. You got us out. You got us in safely in a reasonable portion of health. Thank you also, Father, for allowing us to spend time discussing your word, uh, hearing the teaching of your word, uh, and even as we have spent time singing about your goodness and greatness, and as we have greeted and given and all of these various and sundry things, uh, our hearts were yearning with anticipation for the moment that we could sit at your feet. And I hear your voice as you speak to us from your word. And of course, uh, we uh, pledge that even before we hear it, our hearts will be pliable and we will receive with meekness the engrafted word. And Father, we pledge to give you the honor, the glory, and the thanksgiving for all that takes place. The only thing that we ask at this time is that you might not allow the wicked one to have any part or any say in what is being said. That we might hear only from heaven. We'll thank you for that great privilege. We ask each of these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul is talking about Walking, And, of course, uh, the word for walk, peripateo, it, it literally means uh, the way that you conduct yourselves, the, the area in which you traffic and traverse. I remember when I was a young, uh, young lad, I was out playing with some friends of mine. And as I was out playing, uh, my, um, my father, was, he was working in the barbershop across the way. And he looked over and he saw me. And he sent the guy over, and the, the guy said, hey, are you Ray? And I said, yes. 
He said, your dad is across the street at the barber shop. I said, I know. He said, go home. Now, I don't know what they do today, <laughs> but you know what I did, obviously, because I'm still here. I went home. But when I got home, my dad came in that evening, and he said to me, he said, do you know why I sent you home? I said, no, I have no idea. He said, you know, I watched you. And he says, you know, you were playing with that boy. I almost said his name. Uh, you may not know him anyway, but I still won't say his name. He says, and, and he would say, Ray, Ray, go do this, and you will go do it. And then do that, and you will do whatever he told you to do. He said, that boy is not a good boy. And I don't want you playing with him. I don't want you following him. I don't want you to be influenced by him because he's going to lead you in a direction that is not good for you. So he cut me off. And I wasn't able to play with him anymore. You know, it's kind of an aside that, you know, before I graduated from pharmacy school, uh, he had run afoul of the law and was killed. My dad cut me off. Because he was, he could see that, you know, that was a direction that I was being led that was not good for me. And he said, don't walk like he walks. Don't go where he goes. Don't do what he does. I was reminded of that when I was reading this passage. Uh, Paul, he's talking about walking. He's talking about living. And he says that there's some places that you ought not to go. There's some things that you ought not to do. There's some people that you ought not to follow. If you're going to walk worthy of the calling wherewith you have been called, you have to be careful where you go. And we've been talking about walking. And in fact, uh, last, uh, last time, last week, I get these days mixed up. It wasn't last week. It was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Uh, we talked about a blueprint for spiritual maturity. And we said that blueprint included theological growth as we looked at verse 14 and Christological growth as we looked at verse 15 and sociological growth as we looked at verse 16. And all of that is helping us to understand that, that God expects us to go in a certain way to be like his son. But then he gets to 17 and he says, now there's a way that you ought not to go. And I, I entitled this, The Characteristics of a Collapsing Culture. I don't need to follow the culture. In fact, I put the verses up for you and I highlighted the, the things that I thought stood out to me. Notice he says, you should no longer walk. When he says, as the rest of the Gentiles, the Gentiles are pagans. These are people that don't know God. These are people, and they may have influence and pop and circumstance and popularity, but he says, they don't know God. They don't know Christ. And because you know Christ, if you're going to walk worthy of Christ, you can't walk like they walk. You cannot follow them. Well, how do they walk? He says, in the futility of their mind. He says, they have their understanding darkened. He said, they're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance in their heart, because of the blindness in their hearts. He says, they are past 
feeling. And they have given themselves over to lewdness. You can't walk worthy of Christ if you're going to follow in that train. Notice the key words that Paul has here. Futile, empty, vain, useless, darkened, excluded, ignorant. You know, if you were from Statesboro or Swainsboro or Meta, you might say ignorant. <laughs> I almost said like Retta, but I didn't want to go there. <laughs> Hardened, callous. He says, past feeling. And I want you to understand, as I understand, that the scriptures are teaching that, that, that if I want to walk in God's way, then there's some thinking that I need to make about how I walk. The decision to walk in God's way comes from, from seeing some things. The first thing I want to see is that, you know, there's a wrath of God that falls on those who don't follow him. God punishes wickedness. His punishment falls upon individuals. I, I was reading uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, excuse me, Judges 16, about uh, Samson and you know, we talked about Samson before. And I'm very, very struck by verses 16 through uh, sixteen through 20 of that chapter where Samson, you know, he's fooling around with this woman. And the Philistines, they want to get him. They want to imprison him. They want to kill him. They want to get him out of the way. But, you know, Samson is the powerful man of God. And they just could not get their hands on him to defeat him. Oh, but Samson, you know, he was overcome. He was taken captive, imprisoned, blinded. How? Because of his own lust for women. And his lust took him down, whereas his enemies could not. I'm struck by it because of the, the way the verses read it. It says, it says, she said to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he thought to himself, I'll get up and go out like I always do. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. God had abandoned him because morally he had abandoned God. And the results took place. I, I think of Saul, and I put down for you First Samuel fifteen twenty three. And the only thing that, that I want to say about that is, is that God, God says, and in fact, Samuel says to Saul, you know, the Lord has abandoned you because you're disobedient. You want to do the thing that God told you to do. And as a result, he is no longer with you. He won't hear you. He won't respond to you. In fact, I put down those who refuse to listen. And, you know, if you would do me the courtesy, keep your finger here in Ephesians and turn over to Psalm 1. Excuse me, Proverbs chapter 1, Psalm 1. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to see this. Because I don't want you to assume that it's not in there. Proverbs chapter 1, look at, look at verse 20. He says, wisdom 
personified as a woman. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the opening of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. She's out there where the people are, where they're walking around, because she wants to be seen and she wants to be heard. And she says, how long, O simple ones, will you love simplicity? Scorners delight in their scorning. Fools hate knowledge. How long are you going to do that? Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. I want to help you. I want to teach you. I want to lead you, guide you, bless you. But verse 24, she says, because I called and you refused. I stretched out my hand, and no one regarded, because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. Because of that, she says also, I will laugh at your calamity. So you don't realize you're, you're traveling downhill, and at the bottom of the hill, uh, there's a brick wall. And you're going to run headlong right into it. And when that happens, she's going to say, well, you know, you, you wouldn't listen. I tried to warn you. You know, you refused to listen to me and go your own way. How's that working out for you? You're down there busted up, broken, disheveled. She says, I'm going to mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. You see it. God says, I want to lead you. I want to guide you. I want to protect you. I want to care for you. Listen to me. Follow me. But you know, in Hosea, Hosea 4.17, God, God says, my people, they, they don't want to listen to me. They're preoccupied with having their idols. He says, so I'm going to leave them alone. When God leaves you alone and your life falls apart, you will say, where's God? I need you. What, what, what happened? You know, like the pigs, they only look up when you stop throwing down the slop, right? As long as we're getting the goodies from God, we don't look up. We don't think about him. We don't praise him. And we may not follow him until things get hard. But he's saying there's coming a time when God says, okay, this is what you want, the way you get. You know, that's not just true for individuals. That's also true for cultures. The reason I call it characteristics of a collapsing culture, and I want you to turn one other place, and that's in Romans chapter 1. We looked at Romans 1 before, so... This really won't take very long. Romans chapter 1. I look up and see Brother Johnson, and my my throat almost says, which is found in the New Testament. But I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Romans chapter 1, 
I, I want you to notice something. The three times in this particular passage, in fact, I, I'd say three telltale signs of God's judgment. You notice in verse 24, it says, therefore God gave them up. If you look at verse 26, it says, for this reason, God gave them up. If you look at verse 28, he says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Three times in this passage, God says, I'm taking my hands off. In the book, well, that escapes me right now. I don't know why. I was just in it just two days ago, again. But in the book, which is an anthology, it says, um, Right Thinking in a World of Culture of Chaos. That's the name of it. It's an anthology, and one of the uh, featured writers is Dr. John MacArthur, and he says uh, someone asked him um, how, as Christians, what could we do as a nation to avoid the judgment of God? Because we, we have to turn our nation around, because if we don't, God is going to judge us. He said, listen, as I look at the scriptures, specifically this passage, he says God is already judging America. We are already under the judgment of God. We're not headed for it. God has already taken his hands off of us, and we're rushing downhill. Because he says, look at the things that characterize those whom God has abandoned. He says in verse 24, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is, excuse me, I'm at 26, I'm at 24 says God gave them up to uncleanness, to the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And, of course, beginning in the 60s with the sexual revolution, you know, we decided that sex should be open, available, free for everybody. But when the soldiers went off to war and came back with syphilis and gonorrhea and all kinds of, of uh, sexually transmitted diseases, you would think that we would have said, oh, wait, now, this is a punishment for living this immoral lifestyle. Well, no, what we did is we came up with penicillin and some of the other drugs and said, oh, okay, now we can overcome the consequences of our immorality. So it persisted, right? And, you know, you look at all of those sexual transmitted disease, they seem to, to come out of the woodwork, right, and chlamydia and all of these other things. And, and every time they say they conquered one, here comes another one. But they never say, listen, this seems to be the judgment of God on this kind of lifestyle. That's not what's said. He says God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, you, you know, it's amazing that, you, you know, everything that you try to, you turn on TV and, and everything they sell you, right, there's somebody in something that ain't right walking across the stage or they're in the background. And it doesn't matter what it is that they're selling. Like there's some uh, TV stations I, I don't even watch. You know, sometimes... The, the stations that show the old, 
relatively clean shows. The commercials come on. And the commercial comes on, and here, here's a woman, she's, she's talking about panty liners. Or she's uh, talking about uh, the unmentionables, what used to be called. And they're modeling them, and I'm like, seriously? Okay. <laughs> I can't watch TV in my life because she's watching those shows. And I'm like, I'm not interested in looking at that, you know. Call me when the sports come on. I mean, something, you know, reasonable. Of course, you turn the sports on, everybody's drinking. We insist on having our immorality. So you'll see the first sign is a, a tolerance for sexual immorality. Now, sex isn't taboo anymore. It's expected from 12 years old down and up. I didn't mean down. <laughs> that may be. You never know. But, of course, uh, when the, the little silly girls are snapping pictures of themselves uh, in their birthday suits and sending it to, to other kids in school who send it all over places and, and they're all embarrassed and you all that kind of crazy stuff and parents don't even know what they're doing. Signs of the times. Verse 26. He says, after they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, he says, for this reason, God gave them over to vile passions. Even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the women, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And, of course, nobody wants to think that homosexuality is wrong, is perverse, is vile. Now we champion the cause of it. And, of course, you remember when um, the other guy whose name I can't remember this, this is called the Charles Porter Syndrome. He mentioned this in Sunday school, how he forgets everything. Now, if he hadn't said that, I wouldn't be forgetting all this stuff. It's, it's, his, it's his fault, right? I know he's watching downstairs. Charles, is your fault. I can't remember people's names. But the, um, anyway, the man that I have in mind who said that, that AIDS is God's judgment on homosexuality. And boy, did they vilify him in the media homophobic, unloving, uncaring. But the scripture says they receive in their bodies the penalty that's due them for that kind of behavior. You would think that when the Center for Disease Control discovered uh, back in the 80s that this virus that has come on the scene that shuts down your immune system, that makes people vulnerable to all kinds of diseases and causes them to have an early death, and when they discovered that it seems to be 97% of the cases are male homosexuals, you would think they would have said, y'all need to stop doing that. Au contraire. What they said is we need to do research. We need to get aggressive. We need to find a cure. Now they have all of these anti-AIDS drugs. 
Now, I remember when they first came out, I told you before, when I was practicing pharmacy, I would look at the price. I'm like, man, nobody can afford this stuff. But, you know, they always have vouchers. They always got it for free. Somebody was paying for it. So we didn't want to avert the lifestyle that brings harm to our society. We want to champion the illicitness of it. And now embracing homosexuality, we destroyed morality. He says... Verse 28, even as they did not like to retain the knowledge of God, God gave them over to a debased mind. And people are crazy. They don't think logically. They are, the word there is, irrational. And so they, take, they do those things which are not fitting. Only an irrational mind would say, well, There's no God. See, there was nothing. And then there was a big bang, and out of nothing grew all the stuff we have. Only a moron would say that. These people are not morons. They say it because they don't want the alternative. The alternative is a creator. Intelligent design presupposes an intelligent designer. God who made everything and so if that's true then we have to figure out you know what does he want why am I here what am I here for and and where am I going to leave here nobody wants to answer those questions because it will crop our lifestyle we want to be able to pursue all the things that God says don't pursue and so as we see the, the downward slide, because you see, our nation is already filled up with all of this stuff. And what he says, when you go back to verse 18, he says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in order to pursue unrighteousness. The wrath of God is already fallen on our nation. And we're suffering the consequences. And so he says, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So even his eternal power, God has, so that they are without excuse. He says two things there. 19 and 20, he says God has already placed an internal witness. Every person coming into the world comes in with a conscience that's informed that there is a God and he's a moral God. That's why when they do bad things, they hide. You don't have to say, don't do this. They do it and then they go hide. How did they know it was wrong? They have a conscience. So God has put a witness in each person's heart at birth that there is a God, he's a moral God, and there's right and there's wrong. Everybody knows that. You have to shut that down in order to pursue what's wrong and say it's okay. And then God is, he's given an external witness. Then you can look at creation and understand there's a God. But you say, well, no God, I mean, it exploded 
it's, it was by accident. And ultimately, because there's no God, there's no right or wrong, we can do anything we want. And people buy into that. And so he says, you look at the results of that line of thinking in verse 29. And we looked at, we looked at this before, did we not? He says, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Some cities you dare not even go downtown by yourself because it's not safe. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unfortunate, unmerciful. There's a lot of uns in there. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, there's wrong to do these things, they, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do they do them, but they approve of those who practice them. And that's why you have uh, attorney generals in certain uh, uh, states uh, who, who don't prosecute criminals. They say, well, well they, they, they're victims. You know, they, they grew up in, on the wrong side of the tracks. They didn't have enough resources. They didn't have enough money. Or, you know, they had abusive parents. Or, you know, whatever excuse, and that's why they shot six people. That's why they walk down the street, see somebody, and take a pipe and clock them in the back of the head. That's why they do that. They don't need to be in jail. That's why society, you say, well, who in their right mind would think of stuff like that? Well, people who are not in their right minds. Why does it seem that our world has gone crazy? Well, it's easy because our world has gone crazy. And people don't think straight. You know, I found (laughs) an interesting quote. You probably won't be able to see this. Uh, Yokelson is saying now in, in the the book, the, the Criminal Personality. I have to go down here and read it because you know I can't see back there. But they spent three chapters talking about criminal behavior and how it comes about. <clears throat> they say it's remarkable that criminals often derive as greater impact from activities during non-arrestable phases as from crime. In other words, I mean, they think the same. It's not that they walk by, see a Macy's and something in the window, and all of a sudden impulsively take up a brick and throw it through the window. They're not overcome. Suddenly, they think a certain way. And that's why they do certain acts. They said the criminal thinking patterns operate everywhere. They're not restricted to crime. Sociological explanations have been unsatisfactory. The idea that a man becomes a criminal because he's corrupted by his environment has proved to be too weak an explanation. That's why the people in Congress, you know, they don't, they don't use Yokin, uh, Yokelson and same now. We've indicated that criminals come from a broad spectrum of homes, both disadvantaged and privileged within the same neighborhood. The person who doesn't have a lot of money will try to tear up an ATM to steal the money. The person who comes from a privileged background, he'll embezzle a million dollars. It's the same criminal behavior, the same mindset. The difference is what opportunity do they have to express it? 
Then why are people like that? Because people are sinful. You come into the heart, into the world with a heart. Uh, Jeremiah says is is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He says it is not the environment that turns a man into a criminal. It's a series of choices he makes starting at a very early age. That's why uh, Kevin Lavender, when he had his first son, Kevin Jr., was standing down there at Grady Hospital looking at, in, at the little infants in the little incubator room there. And, I mean, you got all these kids. And Kevin, he says, man, he says, look at all these babies. He said, you know what I thought? He says, man, uh, there goes the future murderers, rapists, thieves. <laughs> but he's right. They're, they're all sinners. And they come that way. And some of them are going to express the sinful tendencies to a greater degree than others, depending on opportunity. So, you know, I look at all of this, and I just want to circle back around to Ephesians 4.17. I put the New Living Translation up because I like the way it says it. He says, with the Lord's authority, let me say this, no longer, live no longer as the ungodly do. Don't live like that. For they are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. There's no light there. They don't see where they're going. They don't see what they're doing. So they think it's okay. Even though it's not, they are far away from the life of God. Why? Because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against him. The word hardened, it, it, the word there is it, it's, it's, it's porosis. You know what process is, right? You know it is a progressive hardening. Some of y'all, you, you know, take your time, right? Because the limbs, the limbs, the limbs don't move as well as they used to, right? Now you got that limp because the, the when you when you, the joints try to move, you become a breakfast cereal, right? Snap, crackle, pop, and you just it it's right. is standing in and it's getting hardened. And it's hard to move. It's hard to twist. And, you know, one of my favorite people in the world said, man, I was fine until I reached 60. Right? Everything went crazy. Right? And all you young people, enjoy it. Right? Enjoy it. Right? You can laugh at me if you want to. So he came going downstairs. Okay, your day is coming. Right? <clears throat> It says they've hardened their heart. They, they don't care anymore about right and wrong. So it's, it's easy for them to do wrong. They, they've given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. You know, it says they've given themselves over. The, the, the word there, you know, I had the word callous before. The, the word there is the word from which we get analgesic. They, they reach a point where they don't feel anything. It doesn't bother them at all to do the wrong thing, to lie, to cheat, to steal, to become immoral. It doesn't bother them to do the wrong thing. They say, what is this? They can with that because there's no guilt 
in their hearts. And he said, people like that are not safe to be around. Listen. Paul says to them, to the Ephesians, he says, don't be like them. Don't, don't be like them. <clears throat> the world is filled up with people who have no sense of right and wrong, no sense of restraint, no sense of, of God honoring. They don't fear God. They don't want to think about God. And out of their ignorance of God, they promulgate these lifestyles that are filled with wickedness. He said, don't be like them. Turn your heart to the one who created you and who loves you and who has a plan for you. And learn his plan. Don't follow the dictates of the anti-God, the haters of God. Why would you do that? He says these people, they're unwise in their thinking. They don't make good decisions. You know, I was, I was talking to a guy the other day, and I said, well, you know, there's someone said people... People make, they make bad decisions with bad information. They make lucky decisions with no information. They only make good decisions with good information. So you need to make sure you get good information. Bad information will cause you to go in the wrong direction. These people are futile in their thinking, useless, empty, wasted. They're unenlightened in their reasoning. They, they don't know. They can't see where to go. And they, this is okay. This feels okay. I don't know exactly why you would say it's wrong. I like this. I like the way it feels. I like the way it sounds. I like the way it tastes. You know, I was saying to somebody, you know, we were talking about doctrinal error. And I said, a little bit of error can hurt you. But, you know... Do you know that rat poison is 95% oatmeal? But it's, it's the 5% that kills you, right? So you have to be, you have to be diligent and you have to, to screen out those who say and do things that are against God. And avoid them, ignore them. Don't listen to them. They're unresponsive. Don't you be like that. When the Spirit of God nudges you, don't do that. And what do you do? You don't do that. You don't say, yeah, I know, yeah. I probably shouldn't be coming over here. You know, this is the wrong place to be. I, I hear you. I know. I shouldn't be, you know. Don't do that. If he says stay away, stay away. I mean, obey him and be safe. Don't obey him. And uh, Dwight loves to hear, you be stupid. And you're going to pay a price for that. He says they're unaffected to the point of embracing impurity. You see, when, when you want to do the wrong thing, there's a tuggy in your heart that says, oh, I shouldn't do that. And then you, you say, yeah, I probably shouldn't. And then you have a friend that tells you they did it and they were okay. You say, really? Yeah, yeah. They didn't tell you about the consequences later. They didn't leave that part, put that part in there. And, and you, you say, well, yeah, I, 
I still don't feel right. Man, go ahead. Grow up. Be a man. Right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you nudge over, you nudge over. The Spirit of God is pleading when you don't. Stop. No. And and then you, you do it. And the guilt's there. And you say, I'm never doing that again. And then an opportunity comes around again, and you... You forget the guilt. You remember how much fun it was, right? And so you, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. And then you do it again. And you say, that was fun. And then the next time, what? Yeah. And then you reach a point where you don't hear anything. You don't hear anything at all. You've totally become calloused and insensitive to what the Spirit wants in your life. You've hardened your heart. You become calloused. And the only thing left, the Scripture says in Proverbs, he who being often reproved hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed. That without remedy. And that's what happened to Samson. Right? Fooling around with a, a woman, a Philistine woman. He wanted to marry her. Fooling around with a prostitute from Gaza, Philistine town. Fell in love and gave his life to Delilah, a Philistine woman. And eventually, playing around, playing around, playing around, he'd already rejected the will of God. He compromised himself morally and spiritually. And eventually... It caught up with him. Satan plays a long game. And he said, I got time. You got the watch, but I got the time. And in time, I'm going to keep weaving the web until you go and go and go until you're stuck. And then I've got you. Paul says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Don't go down that road. Let me end this. Psalm 81. I love this. Now, now he's talking to Israel. And, of course, we're not Israel. But I, I like the principle that he's giving here in verse 11. He, God says, he says, listen to me, O my people, while I give you stern warnings. Oh, Israel, if you would only listen, you must never have a foreign God. You must not bow down before a false God. For it was I, the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it with good things. Here, I want to bless you. Don't do this. Verse 11 says, but no, my people wouldn't listen. Israel did not want me around. God, you're cramping my style. I want to have fun. I can't have fun with you hanging around. You need to be gone. So we get rid of God. We put him behind our back so we don't see him. We stop reading that word because it's too, it produces too much guilt because I can't read that and do the thing I want to do. So I close the book. So, verse 12, he says, I, I, I let them follow their blind and stubborn way, right? Living according to their own desires. God says, I gave them up. 
I gave them over. I let them do the thing they wanted to do. And that's where our country is. Now, I don't know what, what, what the future holds for our country. I, I don't know what God's will is. I mean, God is able to raise up a sense of morality that will turn our nation back to righteousness and avoid all the craziness and killing babies and uh, 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 triumphing the causes of the perverse. God may turn us away from that. But I know this, if he does not, my grandson, who is five years old, he won't grow up in the America that I knew. It won't be the same. We need to pray. We need to pray very, very strongly. And pray for our nation. And and listen, the reason that that I'm harping on this, if you don't take anything else from this, just take away two points. Number one, I need to walk responsibly before God. I need to hear his voice. I need to heed his voice. I need to follow his ways. Now, forget what happens to the nation. It needs to start with me. Because if if I'm not right before God, uh, then there's no hope for those in my relationships. Because God wants me to be salt and light around them to turn their hearts to him. And if the light in me is covered over and it becomes dark, and no one can see the light of Christ in me, then they won't respond to light they can't see. I need to walk with the Lord. And I need to share the gospel. I need to tell people that they are lost without Christ. The only hope for our nation is to have people, one at a time, come to faith in Jesus Christ. May the Lord strengthen us to, to, to do that, to own that, to care deeply about that. You know, I read about um, back in the days of Sparta, there was a little boy who stole a fox, a little baby fox. And he came around the corner, and he looked up, and he saw the owner of the fox. And so he he stuffed the fox inside his cloak so that the owner wouldn't know. And then he, he stood there waiting for the owner to go by. Well, the little baby fox was frightened and began to claw at him and bite him. He had a choice. Do I... Do I let this thing out? And then he knows that I stole his fox. Or do I hope that he hurries up and goes by? And, of course, he decided he would not expose the truth. He, he kept the fox hidden. And the damage to him was so severe, it cost him his life. His pride just would not let him admit that he had done wrong. Now, don't let that be you. Don't, don't let the Lord have to drop the hammer on your head because you will not hear. You will not heed. Listen, say yes to the Lord about everything that he leads you to do. Hear his voice. Father, thank you so much again. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for caring so much about us that you sent your son to rescue us. He, he rescued us from the biggest enemy that we had, which is us. Pogo says we have met the enemy and he is us. We 
because of our proclivities, our, our desires and impulses to pursue self-indulgence and sin, we, we often turn our backs to you, the one who loves us, the one who saved us, and the one who wants us to walk in freedom. We have our eyes on those who don't know God, and we follow them, and they become our champions, and they lead us away from the all-lovely, all-wise, all-knowing, good one. May it not be, Father. Turn our eyes away from vanity and selfishness. Help us to, to fall ever more deeply in love with you. Help us to, to desire you and your word and your will above all else. Strengthen us to walk with Christ. I pray for that one that may be here, perhaps having never really surrendered their life to Christ, perhaps hearing that they need to and hearing other voices saying, you don't have to do it now, wait, 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 knowing that if you keep waiting, it, it gets to a point where it, there's just no conviction, no guilt at all. Father, stir up their hearts now to say yes to you and to your will for them. For those of us who've received Christ, help us to walk in your will. May we not follow the travesties of this world's so-called knowledge. May we walk in such a way as to please you. Strengthen us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake.